As I mentioned earlier, we finished Beatitudes last week, and so this week we start in the Gospel of John, and today's lesson, teaching lesson, is simply titled, In the Beginning Was the Word. And what we have in front of us, if you have Bibles, you'll see some of the notes on the screen, but John's Gospel, his good news, is really a portrait of Jesus and his saving work. Uh, It focuses on the last three years of his life, uh, his death and his resurrection and his purpose is made very clear. You have to jump a little further in his word to John chapter 20. And in verses 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs, other than these first three verses, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Mashiach, the anointed one, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, most of us already understand that if I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, guess what? I've got life. And we're here today to celebrate a life. A life that was lived, but a life that is still living because of Sharon's faith. And it's available to every last person who's here today. See, this book was written to help people believe in Jesus and have eternal life. Uh, but don't get it into your head that this book is therefore only for unbelievers. Uh, believers in Jesus need to go on too. Uh, we got more life to live. And we want to hang in there on that journey all the way from this earth up to heaven. So when Jesus says these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, leap, by believing you may have life in his name, he meant that he was writing to awaken faith in people who didn't know who Jesus was. But at the same time, to sustain faith or build faith or fortify the faith of people who knew Jesus and it was going to lead both of those groups to eternal life. And as a result, uh, boy, I don't know if there's any better book to help us keep on trusting and treasuring Jesus above all. It's a pretty phenomenal book. And you may go home today and say, well, a guy preached last week on John, the first three verses. I guess that's all I need to know. No, go home and read the rest of the book because <laughs> yeah, it'll help expand this. So this portrait of Jesus is written by an eyewitness who was part of these infinitely important events. Uh, Five times in the gospel, uh, he actually refers to himself, which is kind of interesting, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I find that kind of interesting. He likes to bring that up a lot. It'd be like, you know, I'm the pastor that the people that restore love. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I said it once. Anthony says, that's enough. (laughs) But it's kind of interesting. So this disciple whom Jesus loved uh, was there leaning on his shoulder in that picture of the Last Supper. You've probably seen that picture. Uh, He was he wrote this divinely witness uh, to the events of Jesus life and what they meant. And this man was John. And the reason I'm going to tell you that this is a divinely inspired book is this is what Jesus promised to do. Later in John 14, 26, he write, wrote, The Helper, and that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then he goes on a little bit later in chapter 16, verse 13, says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So in other words... Jesus gathered together this motley crew of people who became these apostles as his representatives. He, if you will, saved them, 
he taught them, he sent them, uh, and then he gave them through the Holy Spirit divine guidance in the writing of basically the New Testament of our Bible. And so we believe, therefore, that John's gospel truly is the inspired, spirit-breathed logos of God. And those three words uh, kind of bring us to the first words of John's gospel in verses 1 to 3, and this is kind of our baseline for today's teaching. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Wrap your head around that and explain that to someone else. We're going to, these are the three verses we're going to focus on now. And we're going to start with this term, word, or logos in the, in the Greek. It says, in the beginning was this logos, this word. And the most important thing to know about this word is found a little bit later in the same chapter, verse 14, where it says, and the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word, this logos that we're talking about, of course, is Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach. Throw in a little Hebrew for you there, Jeff. So guided by the Spirit, John knows that he's about to write these 21 chapters, and he's going to tell us the story of Jesus and what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. It's a book about the life and the work of this guy, Jesus, the man that John knew quite intimately. He knew that this is a guy who had flesh and blood. I mean, Jesus even said a couple of times after resurrection, feel me and see. He was not a ghost. He was not an apparition. He didn't kind of flit around, disappear, reappear. Uh, He ate with them. He drank with them. Uh, He got tired. He slept on the boats while they were uh, in a storm. Uh, So John knew this guy really, really well. And in fact, you may remember that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, you remember what he said to John? He said, John, by the way, that's not your mom you're standing next to. Jesus' mother, Mary. And then he says to his mom, and guess what, Mary? This is your son. And so we know that John took Jesus' own mother into his care for the remaining part of her life. So what John is doing here in just these first three verses is telling us the most ultimate thing we can know about Jesus that he can. And it took John more than three years to figure out the first three verses, (laughs) to even write them. Uh, But... God doesn't want us to take more than three verses either. There's, there's a whole lot more there. He wants us to have in our minds today, uh, fixed and clear from the beginning of the gospel, the eternal majesty of God, the creator of the world, uh, majesty, deity, whatever words you want to throw into this mix. He means for us to read this gospel worshipfully, uh, in a, humbly, with a great deal of humility, knowing that when it starts out, in the beginning was the word, he ain't talking about you. And that causes us to be a little humbled. It means that we're going to go down a few notches and we're going to listen to him who knows what he's truly talking about. And uh, this is a guy we're going to be awestruck with in the next number of weeks here at Restore because we're going to read about this man next week who attended a wedding at Cana. We're going to read about a guy who hung out with a Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, we're going to talk about a guy who met people that were suffering from diseases at the pool of Bethesda 
and above everything else, he was the guy who created this entire universe. So that's not the structure of my message today, but it's really the structure of this book. This is the way John wrote it, uh, the way God meant for him to put it together. That's what we talk about, you know, inspired. It's spirit-breathed. It's not John decided to one day just write something. No, the spirit moved him to do this and to answer the question, just who is this man, Jesus? But John says, I'm not going to take 21 chapters to explain that to you. He says, no, in the very first words, out of the end of my pen, I am going to stun you. I am going to blow you away with the identity of this man who became flesh and dwelt among us. And I do it so that there is no mistaking who this guy I'm going to talk the remaining 21 chapters about who that guy really is. So John means for us, not just the, well, I'm glad Pastor talked about John 1 to 3. I guess I go do something else for a while. He means for us to go and discover the rest of this book. Now, y'all are going to be here, but you're welcome to come back next week. Jeff and Cheryl will be happy to put you up for it. <laughs> Poor Tito, a little bit. <laughs> just, a, just a little bit. Yeah, it means for us to read this entire gospel with the amazing knowledge that Jesus was with God. And he was God and was the one who laid down his life for us. And so whatever else you might enjoy about Jesus, Jesus wants you to know and treasure Jesus in his infinite majesty. But still, we should ask ourselves today, why did Jesus call himself or why did John use the word? Now, my answer to the question is um, John calls Jesus the word. Because he spent three years listening to the words speak the words of Jesus. He's truth. He was the final and decisive message, the final logos of God. Or more simply, what God has to say to all of us was not only what Jesus said, it's who Jesus was, and it's all about what Jesus actually did in his three years here on this earth. His words clarified the work of Jesus for us. But his self and his work were the main truth God was revealing. That's why later John could say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the truth. I'm the one you're looking for. See, what God had to say to us was not only and mainly what Jesus said, but it was what, who Jesus really was. And what he did, he came to witness to the truth. He was there because he was the truth. He was constantly pointing himself back at himself, if you will. See, his witness and person were always the word of truth. He said, if you abide in what? My word, you are truly my disciples. And then he added, oh, by the way, and abide in me because I am the word. So when we abide in him, I guess we could have sung, I haven't sung that song in a long time. Abide, O oh, dearest Jesus. Do you remember, anybody remember that old song, Abide, O oh, dearest Jesus? It means just to live in him. Sit and soak in him. And when we abide, we're really abiding in the word. We're sitting and soaking, if you will. And he said that his works were a witness about him. And in other words, in his work, everything he did, he was the word. Now, if we jump way to the end of the Bible, Revelation, which, by the way, most of you know, John wrote that one as well. Uh, he describes Jesus' glorious return. Someday Jesus is going to come back. Some of us may get a head start, like Sharon. 
got there, knows it now. Knows what her husband know, knew, what, a couple of years back. Knows it. Someday, we're going to know this too. But in Revelation 19, 13, he describes Jesus when he comes back. Listen to these words. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. See, Jesus is called the Word of God when he comes back to this earth. You can almost say once the Word, always the Word, eternally the Word. So John, as he begins writing, he has this view of this revelation, this truth, this this witness, all the words that came out of Jesus' mouth over the three-year period, his teaching, his his dying, his uh, miracles, his rising, all, all of that kind of sum up the revelation of God with that name, the Word. He's the final word, the ultimate word. He is the decisive word. He is the absolutely true word. He is the only reliable word. When I was at the seminary, Concordia, in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, when we had chapel every day, before they uh, would read the gospel lesson for the day or whatever the pastor was going to preach on, uh, the congregation, all the seminary students would, would, sta- would stand up and say, now, now's the time for the reading of the Holy Gospel. And we'd all stand and we'd say, you know, uh, for memory, out of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Some of you probably know that. You know, it, it, long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke uh, to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by what? By his Son. So the Son of God incarnate, Jesus, is God's climactic, if you will, and decisive word to the world. There are no other words coming anywhere. In spite of the fact that we get all, I hate to use this word, all kinds of clowns today and heretics who say, I got a word from the Lord. Oh, you can show it to me in your Bible? Oh, no, I was talking about the word I got from the Lord. Well, your word, <laughs> let's put it in this word and see whether your word matches this word. Don't know of any new revelation, although I sure pray Saturday night sometimes I get a new word. But God says, well, get back in my word. So what does John want to tell us about this man, Jesus, whose deeds and words fill the pages of his gospel in all the scripture? Well, there are four different things. Let me give you the first one. He talks about the time of his existence. In the beginning, in other words, if you go back and translate that Hebrew, it literally means ahead of the beginning. I mean, before the beginning began was the word. Now, these words in the beginning in John are identical, even if you translate the Hebrew and the Greek as in the beginning. In the beginning, before the beginning, what did God do? He created. He created. That's not an accident. Because John is going to tell us about what Jesus did. Jesus created the universe. Now, that's what he says in verse 3. So the words in the beginning mean before there was anything else, there was the word. Jesus was there before there was anything. Not an accident. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. What's the essence of his identity? Verse 1, the word was God. That's pretty simple. See, one of the marks of the gospel, the gospels, is that the weightiest doctrines are often delivered in the most simple words. I mean, I, I've heard a gospel message one time. I was so confused one time 
No, it is very simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. That's pretty simple. See, this could not get any simpler, but yet it can't get any weightier. The Word who became flesh and dwelt among us was Jesus, and Jesus was God. So if anybody ever comes up to you and says to you this, and I had a Jehovah's Witness tell me this one time at my door, and he said, well, that's obviously a a mistranslation. And I said, oh, really? And he said, well, it should not read the word was God. It should read, no, the word was a God. Well, there's there's a way right here from the context that you can know that that's wrong. I mean, whoever tells you that is wrong, and they don't know Greek. In fact, they don't know squat. Uh, here's the third thing. His relationship to God. How is, how is the word related to God? Well, in the middle of verse 1, it says the word was with God. Now, it's kind of interesting. It's like, how can God be with God? Well, remember, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It kind of works that way. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And this, is, this verse here, we could spend a lot of time on this one. And I thought, oh, man, do I want to do a whole message series on just the Trinity? <laughs> I'm going to be gone in March, Jeff, in case you want to, <laughs> if you want to unwrap the, the Trinity. <laughs> but, uh, you know, two of them are mentioned in that verse. The Father and the Son are mentioned in that verse. So we see, one, the time of his existence before all of time. We see all the, the essence of his identity. The word was God. And we see the relationship with his father. It says he was also with God. Now, that seems kind of confusing in a way. But here's the fourth part, his relationship to the world. And this is where, for us, the kind of the rubber hits the road. Verses two and three. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, he was not anything made that was made. And so what happens? The word becomes flesh. And this Flesh dwells among us. He is the source and the means of creation. He's the giver of light. He's the, uh, the means uh, by which we receive the power of God uh, in the fulfilling of his purposes. He's the channel of life-giving faith. I mean, his, uh, that's his purpose. We're going to get to John 3.16 in case some of you that come here regularly, are you actually going to talk about John 3.16? Because that's the only Bible verse I know out of this book. Uh, yeah, we'll cover John 3:16 and 17 and a few other verses later than that. So John's point here, and what I still I still marvel. I've just been digging this for so long. These first three words, I don't know if you get it from me, but they're just absolutely stunning. Uh, in fact, I, I was trying to think think of other verses. I mean, it'd be a great thing to talk about and talk back to him, Jay. Can you think of any other verses that could be possibly more stunning than John 1, 1, 2, 3? Well, we could all come up with stuff that, that are very meaningful verses to us. But man, this stuff is just really powerful. I mean, the word is the source and means of creation. The word is the giver of light and life. The word is the means by which God channels his power into the fulfilling of his purposes. Uh, so John's point here is to tell us that Jesus is the eternal God. He is the creator of everything. He is the one who reveals the light and life that all of us so, so much desire. He is the one 
And again, I think of your mom and I think of your dad. Or I think of your mom who passed away a year ago. That light, that word, was in their hearts. That word is what carried them home. I like it when I preach in prison. Some of you don't know that I've been teaching down at Angola Prison, Louisiana, for about 25 plus years. It's not often, not uncommon for me to walk into one of the chapels at night and they say, the man of God is here to bring the word. <laughs> and that's, that's, first of all, I look around to see who came in. Um, and then I realize, well, they must be talking about me, but it's always to bring the word. And see, if his life is in us, we, we don't have any other way. We don't have anything else to talk about if he's in us. You and I are the bringers or the givers or the deliverers of the word. I have no doubt, Jeff. I, I don't know the rest of your family very well. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I have no doubt that your mom and dad delivered the word. I, I was privileged enough to know your dad. In fact, I got a pair of his boots in my closet at home. His are, my feet are a little bit bigger than his were. But I think he probably brought the word. Your mom brought the word. And not only do they bring the word, they live the word. And so that's why, even as you have a, a memorial service after a while, the memorial services, funeral services, are not really meant to be sad, although we miss people. We really do. That's a human emotion. But it's interesting how we can smile in the tears. Because we know that he is the eternal word. He's what brought us into relationship with him. He's the creator of everything. He reveals the light and life of God in a dark world. And believe me, we live in a dark world today. And sometimes somebody seems to be turning out the lights more each and every day. And so this gospel has got to go back into this. And see, if his life is in us, we are secure. We don't have to worry. My wife would probably tell you, yeah, my husband, him worry? No, <laughs> he doesn't worry much about anything. Um, some people like to watch a lot of news and then be worried all the time. I just don't watch any. I just I figure if the world comes to an end, I'm out of here. Um, that's OK. Um, after all, I'm going to spend eternity with him, which is going to be a whole lot longer than I spent on this earth. He's our light. We got to let him shine. Because every decision we make and into every area of our lives, we have an opportunity to share that same light with some other people. They're always out, they're all out there. I bet all of you could probably point out two or three or four people who don't really know Jesus. And guess what? You got the light. You got it right there in that book in your lap. You take that light, that word, into people's lives. I listened to Jeff this last week, believe it or not, sitting over there in the chair at food distribution, putting the light into a lady. He's got the light. What's he going to do with it? Oh, I'll just take it home with me and chuck it in the drawer somewhere. No, I'm going to take that light and I'm going to share that light. See, if his light is in us, we, we got it. The question is now, are we going to make sure that we take it to other people? So those are the first three verses. Oh, gosh, I could go on and on about that. But kind of to sum up this morning. Uh, as a Christ follower, and I'm going to make a grand assumption. I guess you should never assume, but I'm going to make a grand assumption that we got a gathering of Christ followers here today. As Christ followers, we see the Word. 
And I think we see the word as the one through whom God created this world. Wonderful world God created. We see him as the one who gives spiritual light and life. And it's really a privilege to see people who walk in the light and have a life here and a better life there. He's the one through whom God has acted. He's the one through whom God has spoken. And he is the one through whom God saves. We can talk more about that later. But I think it might not be bad to sing a song, which kind of reflects this a little bit. When we contemplate who Jesus really was, this word, maybe we should say, I love you, Lord. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>